Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you are with us. My name is Doug, and uh, we are here to study the Word of God today and to rejoice. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Keith, who says, I'll just put this up for everybody to see. Good morning. Great verse for today's lesson. Happy birthday today to my wife, Luann. Also, great song to start the day. To God be the glory. Amen. Well, happy birthday uh, to your wife, Leanne. And if you are joining us later, uh, you missed the great song uh, at the beginning. Uh, that's my son's latest release called Beautiful Day. You can catch it on any of your platforms that you like to listen to or on YouTube. And it is the perfect uh, perfect song for our subject matter today. Paul, we're, we're in the book of Philippians, if you're just joining us. And we're in chapter 4, verse 4. And Paul gives this instruction. He says... Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, in the past, when I have taught on this, I remember I, I preached through uh, portions of Philippians in the past or on the topic of joy, and I've had some folks say to me, uh, they almost uh, maybe hate this too strong, but they don't love this verse because there is a guilty feeling that some people have for not always being happy, not always being joyful. And there is a concern that maybe we, uh, we're not good enough, we don't measure up, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I don't want to instill any of that feeling for us today. I don't want to weigh us down with guilt, but with joy, because that is the command. Uh, so look at the, uh, the verse again. Oops. And I do want to point out a couple of things. Paul says it twice here, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It's in the imperative mood. This is a command. Now, friends, think about that. Your king, your Lord has given you a command. And the command is rejoice. Rejoice. That's the command. It's not a hard thing. It's not a burdensome thing. It's not a, a command that weighs us down. It's the command to be filled with joy. What a good king. What a kind king that we serve that the, he would command that for us. So why do we struggle with this? I'm curious, those of you who are with us, uh, what is it that robs you of joy? What is it that causes you to struggle uh, with joy? What are the what are the reasons or the times when you don't have joy? If you if you have a moment, just want to jot something down. I'd love to see what your responses there are because it's true for all of us, right? We don't always feel joyful. We don't always choose to rejoice. Uh, we don't always obey this command. Uh, why is that? I think it was in this study of Philippians. It might have been in our Ecclesiastes study. I don't remember exactly, but I quoted George Mueller. If you know the story of George Mueller, uh, he he was a great man of faith. He's probably known more than anything for uh, running this orphanage, and they just didn't know from day to day and week to week how they were going to pay their bills. Uh and how they were going to eat, that kind of thing. How he's going to provide for these children that he was uh, taking care of in the orphanage. 
and he would pray. There's stories where he sat down with his uh, his his children at uh, the table, and they didn't have any food, and he just prayed and said, "Lord, we trust that you'll provide." And you know, a moment later, somebody would knock on the door and say, "I just believed that this was the right thing for me to do to bring you all some bread." That that kind of thing. So he's a, he was known as a man of great faith, and the Lord did amazing things through his ministry through his faith. But in his autobiography, he said that his first and primary work every day was to fellowship with the Lord, but not simply to study God's word, not simply to feed his mind, uh, not simply to pray and, and ask for the things that he needed or uh, to be prepared to go out and preach the gospel and do all the things that he did. He said the real goal that first thing in the morning of his fellowship with the Lord was to make his soul happy in the Lord. He said, because if I, if I don't do that, if I don't arrive there, then I may do the rest of the good things that I do today with the wrong spirit and the wrong motives. Now, isn't that interesting? We can... We can do good things. We can show uh, love to others or bless them. Uh, we can be kind to them. Uh, we can preach the gospel and be God's tool to, to bring someone from darkness to light. We can give gifts. We can do all kinds of wonderful things. Keith can give uh, wonderful gifts to his, his wife uh, today on her birthday. We can take care of our children. All, on and on and on the list goes. We can do great things, but if we're not happy in the Lord, if we're not glad in the Lord, then our motives may be selfish or we may easily become unjoyful. We may become grumbly, complaining. I don't know if those are words, right? We may be the kind of people that grumble and complain because Instead of rejoicing in the Lord and making our souls happy in the Lord, we are happy in our actions. Look at me. I'm serving my wife here. I'm, I'm blessing this person. Or in our circumstances, we've manufactured a, uh, a happiness that is contingent on circumstances. And I think Mueller was right. How different would our lives be if we make it a habit every morning that the first thing we do is get our souls happy in the Lord? Now, for some of you, that may mean before you crack open your Bible, you do this. Maybe your habit is every day to get up early, brew a cup of coffee, and start reading the Bible. Now, that's a good thing, right? That's, that's a practice we probably all of us should, uh, should add, add to our lives. Uh, that is my frequent uh, habit is uh, I, I typically wake up way before the alarm goes off. Sometimes it's a half hour, sometimes it's three hours. Uh, and I'll get up and I'll come down and make coffee in the dark hours of the night. And I will pull up my iPad and, uh, and start reading. But I, some time ago, decided to follow uh, George Mueller's advice. And that is, before I actually dig into the text and read it and evaluate it and even seek to apply it, 
I want to get myself in a place of joy in the Lord. And I have found if I do that, if I get to a place where I am glad, I am thankful, I'm, I'm rejoicing, then as I read God's word, it is far more than a mental exercise I'm not trying to conjure up anything. I've already arrived at that place of joy. And now the word of God speaks to me and it challenges me and encourages me and humbles me and all the things that the word of God does and should do. But when it comes to the convicting parts, it doesn't overwhelm me with with shame and guilt because I'm already happy in the Lord. So uh, when the scripture points out my sin... Being happy in the Lord, I say, okay, thank you, Lord, for revealing my sin. Now uh, give me the strength to overcome and to repent and to change. I I know I'm forgiven for that sin, and now I want to serve you and, and change from that. And of course, when I'm pondering his blessings, then it just causes uh, me to sing. That's what James says. If you're, if you're cheerful, then sing. It, it causes you to respond that way. But the, the way to interpret all of these things the way the Lord wants us to is through an attitude of joy. Isn't it interesting that the fruit of the Spirit, when, when the Spirit of God fills someone, when we become true Christians and God's Spirit comes upon us, As Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives, the first one he lists is love, which is appropriate, right? The the first command is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second command is to to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. This is the defining act, in a sense, of Christianity. So it makes sense that that the first thing on the list that Paul would mention as the fruit of the Spirit is love. But remember what the second thing listed is. Joy. Joy makes a Christian stand out, doesn't it? Think about the world. Think about the news. Think about social media. You're on Facebook. You're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. Whatever you, wherever you like to uh, see what's going on uh, among people. And if you watch the news at all, whether it's the local news or the national news, or again you follow it on some of those uh, uh, social media platforms. What do, what does every news organization love to publish? Downers, chaos, worry. And this is what our government is doing right now. It is trying to make us a worried, frantic, fearful people. It's one of the ways the government can exercise greater control. If they can make you afraid, then you're going to turn somewhere And most people don't turn to the Lord. Well, who's the Savior? Who's going to come in and take care of us in our great fears and needs? The government is. And so the more they can stir up fear, then they can come in and be our provider and our protector and our Savior. What's the antidote to that? What do we do in response, folks? We rejoice in the Lord. say, the government can't protect us and provide for us. President Biden can't do that. President Trump couldn't do that. 
nobody could. We, we long for the good old days sometimes. We think back to, to the, the men who were in leadership and they go, oh, if we just could go back there. No, they couldn't save anybody. They couldn't protect anybody. They couldn't provide for anybody. Oh, they could do some good things. But the Lord is our savior. The Lord is our protector. The Lord is our provider. So how do we avoid getting caught up in all the mess? We rejoice. And I'm telling you, you will stand out in the crowd if you are a man or a woman of joy. You know that, right? Think about the people you interact with at the, at the supermarket, at the, at the restaurant, at, the, uh, at Walmart or Costco or wherever you shop. Think about uh, servers, who maybe wait on you in restaurants or who serve you in, uh, in, those, in those places. Aren't there some that just seem to be filled with joy and they really stand out? And then you certainly notice those who are uh, grumbly and complaining and se- complaining and seem to hate their job. Well, we don't know what's driving the joy of, of some of those folks, but you know the, that they stand out when they do that. Well, we of all people as Christians need to be people filled with joy and rejoicing. And our Lord gives us the command to rejoice. So what is it? Uh, So none of you answered here. All right. Well, I will answer for you. What is it that robs us of joy? What keeps us from being people of joy? We take our eyes off of the Lord and what he has done, and we put them on the things of this world. Notice Paul did not say, Rejoice in your circumstances. It's not what it says, right? Rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in your job. Rejoice in your family. Rejoice in your house or your car or some other possession that you have. Now, on one hand, all of those things can be gifts of the Lord that we, um, that we receive as, as blessings, and so we can use them to point us to joy, to rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, Keith here says sin. Yeah, all of this is sin. All of those things are sinful, right? The, the things that rob us of joy. Uh, we, can, we can use God's gifts to point us toward the Lord and rejoice in Him, but if we start rejoicing in the gift itself and forget that they are given to us by the Lord— then it's actually going to end up robbing us of joy because when we focus on the thing itself, it can be taken away or it can never satisfy. Remember, this is really kind of the whole story of the book of of Ecclesiastes that we looked through uh, some months ago. If you focus on the here and now, if this is all there is, even if it's a good thing, family, your family will always disappoint Your loved ones will always disappoint. Your spouse is not always going to please you. Your children, your parents, your sisters and brothers, uh, birthday celebrations, they will always disappoint if you're looking to them for ultimate satisfaction. But if you're looking to the Lord, he will never disappoint. And then we receive his gifts as blessings. And when he takes those things away... We don't despair because we still have the Lord. That's right, Jenny. Bring joy into everything you do. 
I love the way you phrase that, bring joy, because that's an active thing that we do as Christians. This is a command, rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. That means we have something to do with it. We are to actively choose joy in our lives. Now, maybe we think, oh, sure, Paul. Paul, you had it pretty good. You can rejoice, but you know, you're just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy and you've got a pretty good life. I mean, look, you're called an apostle of Jesus and and you're surrounded by people who who love you and care about you and you know, things are going pretty well for you, Paul, but if you had my life, if you understood my life, if you knew how hard my life is, you might not be so quick to give this command to to rejoice. <laughs> and Paul would respond with, "Oh yeah?" Oh, yeah? Can you imagine somebody saying to Paul right now as he's writing this? Can you you imagine them writing him a letter back? Oh, sure, Paul, that's easy for you to say. You've got life really good, but look at my life. You know, my, my job stinks. I just don't feel fulfilled in my job at all. Uh, my wife, she's just not who she used to be. You know, I, I married her because I thought she was going to be this and she didn't turn out that way at all. And, or my husband, this, or, you know, my children and on, on the list of complaints. And imagine Paul getting that letter. Hmm. This person thinks I have it good, huh? Do you remember where Paul was as he's writing this letter to the Philippians? Somebody answer this for me. Where is Paul as he's writing this letter to the Philippians right now. As I wait to see if you remember, let me remind you of how the church at Philippi started. Right? So the very people that Paul's writing to. This church started, Paul was visiting this city of Philippi, and he went down to a place where he's hoping to find people who are praying. And sure enough, he found some folks who were praying, and he preached the gospel to them, and they came to the Lord. And he kept meeting with them. And as they were uh, meeting, there was this young girl who was demon-possessed. And Paul cast the demon out of this girl. And that upset her owners. She was a slave girl. and upset her owners because the owners were making a lot of money off of her. So they turned the whole city against Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas were beaten with rods... And then they were thrown into prison, chained in shackles to a wall and waiting trial. And do you remember what Paul and Silas did as they had been beaten with rods? Now, now we read through that in, this is Acts chapter 16. We read through this stuff so fast. We, We don't stop and really soak in what's going on here. They were beaten with rods. Now, apart from spankings, my guess is pretty much everyone listening to me right now has never been beaten with a rod or rods, plural, where you've had several people gathered around with big, heavy sticks, and they just wail on you until you are bruised head to toe and can hardly walk, right? None of us have experienced that. And then they chain them to a a wall awaiting trial. And who knows what will happen? And what are Paul and Silas doing after this? Are they complaining and grumbling? Oh, Lord, 
This is, the, this is the response we get. This is how you repay us. We preach your gospel. We cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We have given our lives for missions work, and this is how you treat us? You have us beaten and thrown in jail? That's not how they responded. They are singing hymns in the middle of the night, filled with joy. So much so that, an, that the Lord sends an angel, an earthquake, and frees them, and they lead the jailer and his whole family to the Lord, and then the church at Philippi is started. Here we are many, many years later. Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, and Keith nailed it. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is chained to a prison guard as he writes this. And his command to the church is, rejoice. Rejoice. Well, how often, Paul? We should rejoice when things are going our way, right? We know that song, everything's going my way. Yeah, it's a great day today because everything's going my way. I, I got a promotion. I got engaged. Found out my wife is pregnant. Uh, I bought a new car. My football team's winning. I mean, look at all these things. Today's a great day because of all that, right? And then you lose your job or your wife gets ill or you experience all kinds of tragedy. And there we're not supposed to rejoice. Is that the response? No. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And again, he says, I will say it, rejoice in each and every circumstance. In the book of Nehemiah, as the Jews are preparing to enter back into their city and, and rebuild the temple, and they, they've done some of that. The book of the law is written, uh, is read rather, and the people start hearing the law of, of Moses and it, it convicts them. They realize they've not been keeping God's covenant and that the reason they've been exiled and the reason their city was destroyed in the first place was because of their sin. And they are tempted to mourn that and they are told, no, no, no. Today, the Lord is restoring you to the city and to the temple. Today is not a day for mourning. Yes, you're convicted. Yes, you're, you, you realize that this was your fault. But today is a day holy to the Lord. Rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we get through the hard times? Now, we know we're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to believe, to have hope. How do we do that? How do we persevere through trials? We rejoice. We rejoice. If you start every morning intent on making your soul happy in the Lord, you will have the strength to endure whatever occurs throughout that day. Some of you, I know, you are going through tough times. You know that uh, because of this current administration and the overreach of the government and the mandates and the vaccines and all those uh, kinds of things, your your job is on the line and your livelihood and, and you may have to pack up and leave and move to a new location or find another job that maybe won't pay as well. You've been comfortable. How do you endure that? How do you persevere? How do you maintain a devotion to Christ in and through that? It starts with rejoicing. It starts with rejoicing. God is good. 
See, the key is not to rejoice in our circumstances. The key is rejoice in the Lord. That's the heart of all of it. Rejoice in the Lord. Every day you wake up not in hell is a good day. See, this is what we deserve, friends. We deserve eternity in the fires of hell. We deserve God being angry with us for all eternity. We've sinned. We have disobeyed the Lord time and time again. I mean, even this command, rejoice, it's a command. We have failed to rejoice. We haven't always rejoiced. Have you rejoiced every single day of your life? Rejoice in the Lord? Of course not. Neither have I. So we've sinned. We've broken his law. We've broken his command. For that sin alone of not rejoicing, we deserve hell forever. And God loved us so much that he sent his son to take hell on his own person to be our substitute to receive the wrath of a holy God in our place And he gave us righteousness and declared us righteous and has promised us eternal life in a place free of all pain and disappointment. That's what is ours. Remember, Paul's been talking about this. He is longing to get to the resurrection. He wants to experience suffering now so he can identify with his Lord to attain to the resurrection, to be be raised again In the last day, our names are written in the book of life. We're waiting for our Savior to come and and transform our bodies into new bodies where we will live forever in a new earth and we will not go to hell. Every day you wake up not in hell is the day of grace and kindness of Jesus Christ. Do you need any other circumstance to fill you with joy? Do you need a better spouse, a better child, a better family, a better job, a better house, a better car? Do you need more money? Do you need an easier life? Do you need to move to a new location? Will any of those things be as precious and valuable as being forgiven of your sins and having the promise of eternal life and knowing that the price that was paid to give you eternal life was the death of God's own son. Now we don't rejoice simply in our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord. And it doesn't matter how hard things get, the fact of forgiveness and eternal life will never fail. It won't change. It's the eternal promise, our eternal hope. So no matter what happens today, we have cause for rejoicing. And Paul says it twice, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will tell you, command, saints, a command from the apostle of Jesus Christ, rejoice in the Lord. It's not the same thing as simply putting on a happy face. We don't always sing and dance. 
If we're to rejoice always, that means even in our sorrow we can rejoice. Because even in the hardest things, we have the truth of the gospel. It is hard when a a child dies or a loved one dies. It is hard when we lose our job. It is hard when friends betray us. It's hard when we experience great physical pain and illness. And on the list goes. Things are hard. Things are are difficult. And the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn. Don't, Don't go to someone who's experiencing great tragedy and say, Hey, cheer up. Buck up. Isn't this great? No, it's not that at all. James says, if you're suffering, pray. He says, if you're cheerful, sing. Right? There is an appropriate response to different circumstances. And when things are hard, you pray. And you seek those who will mourn with you. And when things are going well, you, you sing praise and give thanks. There's a time for everything under the sun, Solomon said. But behind all all of that in every circumstance, we are to rejoice. So again, I say it's not simply a matter of, of smiling and putting on the happy face and singing and dancing. It isn't everything going my way today. It's not that. Rejoicing is not that. But it's getting to the place where we are pre- profoundly thankful for the kindness and grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we resolve to find joy in that. And that will give us the strength to persevere in everything he brings about. So that is your command by the, from the Lord Jesus Christ today. Rejoice. It's a good day. It's a good day. You can't help but rejoice because... The Lord Jesus Christ loves you and he's in charge of all that's happening and he gave himself for you. So friends, grace to you and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in all of his goodness. Till tomorrow, that is our our task. See you tomorrow.